The League of Legends betting podcast is brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash gelati lol. There you can find bonus content like in-depth articles on macro trend analysis and league previews, as well as thoughts on breaking news and the podcast picks before the show is released to platforms. You also get to support your creators more directly. Patreon.com slash gelati lol. That's G-E-L-A-T-I-L-O-L. All right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing? Hope everyone is doing all right. Uh, just going into our recap of the Thursday morning games in the LCK. First series was T1 versus D+. We took a position on the D+, uh, map spreads ladder, which was a unit on the plus 1.5, 0.2 on the money line, 0.1 on the minus 1.5. D+, kind of just had a, you know, I don't really criticize or crucify teams for drafts all that much because like ultimately we don't know what the intent or the the idea was a lot of the time or what's working for them in scrims but d plus decided it would be a good idea to play try to play pike into a callista ashlane which i'm just gonna go ahead and say it was just a fucking stupid idea to me like you, you just you can't do this kind of thing against good teams because they're actually going to take advantage of the things that they're supposed to take advantage of you're not only that, but they actually drafted an Akali as well. And like Akali's fine. In isolation, either of these things is fine together. God-awful idea. Because you now have zero priority on the bottom half of the map for the first 15 or so minutes of this game. So T1 are going to get plates. They're going to be able to dictate whatever they want to do in the jungle. They're going to get shove on you. And they're going to have control for the first two, maybe three dragons. It's just a terrible, terrible idea. Game one was basically over before it started. I, you know, if the price was right, I would have just said back T1, map one, money line. But they, they were already overpriced in this series, so I didn't. Um, it was just frustrating seeing D+. Like, they had they had a week to prep for this, and that was, like, what they marched out in game one. It, it was just frustrating. Game two, I liked the setup a lot more. It was much more balanced. They actually had a decent start to this game. They picked up a few kills early. The thing is, they weren't ever really able to convert it into anything T1 picked up the first two dragons. They were still getting towers and tower plates. So at, there was a point in this game where, like, D-plus actually, they were up, like, seven kills to zero. But T1 had the gold lead still because they were just, like, robo-doping them around the map. And Faker was getting solo towers and solo waves for free in the side lane while they were chasing kills around trying to make picks. And, you know, it was smart from T1 because T1 identified that, you know, if they try to fight straight up, they're going to get picked off, and they had a pick comp with Vi and everything. But if they're going to have the point and click pick you up, like pick you off comp, and not actually get much off of it, then it doesn't really matter. So T1 was just like, all right, screw it. We'll we'll go to side lanes and you know just collect money and you know try to scale this up. Eventually, there was a fight that happened. I think it was leading up to the fifth dragon, if I remember correctly, and it kind of like. It was in the setup heading into, like, from blue. It was in, like, the blue, uh, red side, blue side of the map, red jungle. And, you know, it was wild because, like, aiming actually did a boatload of damage. He was, like, a two-and-a-half item Kaisa in this fight. Or not Kaisa, um, Zaya, sorry. It's like, a two-and-a-half item Zaya in this fight just getting the free auto attack. But, like, the T1 front line was just too big. They had too many meatballs. Like, you had Tom Kench... Their backline was Oriana, Oriana Varus, and then they had, um, what was it? It was Tom Kench, and I'm just going to look this up because I forget. It was, it was TK, Aatrox, and I forget the other character. 
but it was just another beefy frontliner and you know his eyes just auto attacking auto attacking auto attacking auto attacking and it kind of like just illustrates the kind of point i was making the other day about like once it gets to this point in the game where everybody's got two or three items the carries actually are worse than they used to be it's it kind of just plays into what i was saying yesterday anyway that happened um it was kind of unfortunate because I, I think D plus actually in the second game, like they looked fine. Um, like they didn't look bad. It's just T one is extremely good, very tough to beat. And, you know, they looked a lot in that second game. They looked a lot more stable than they did in the matches before the break. So that's a good thing for T for D plus. The, you know, the only thing they did wrong in this series is that T one was on the other side and then they botched the game one draft. And that's, that was the end of it. Like I didn't think the game two, they played fine. They just got T one. Um, as far as T1 goes, not much to say, nothing much else to say, I, I guess I should say. The team's great. They're incredibly annoying to draft and play against because Carrie has just got all this ridiculous shit cooked up, and they're just going to have – it feels like they're going to have bot prio every game until people really, really feel out like what what Carrie is up to and his tendencies and what he's going to counterpick and if you can catch him in doing stuff, but like – Man, in, until somebody shows me they can consistently hang, uh, they're so much of the early game is dictated by bottom lane priority. And if he just always has something or always has the answer, and this team always has the answer, then I, I don't know who's going to beat them. Really, it's it's pretty wild. But um, yeah, I, I you know I said it. I've been saying it since he was a professional. Basically, I, I think Kerry is probably the best player in the world, or one of them at least. Um, for my money, I think he's the best individual player in the world at any position right now. And the guy just completely takes over games at support. And we haven't seen anybody that's like that dominant at that. I mean, we've had all time hall of famer supports, but I haven't seen anybody that like from day one was wise beyond his ears, confident beyond his ears, knows everything is just better than almost everybody. It's, it's ridiculously impressive. And, um, yeah, until someone can show that they can hang with him, it's T1 or the team to beat. Second match was Hamwell Life Esports against OK Brion Savings Bank. Um, 2-0 for Hamwell, as most would expect. We did get the kill spread home in map one. Um, this was a pretty lopsided stomp, but the new look Brion bottom lane of Sanver and Polu actually looked really, really good in this series. Um, game one, they got a pretty good start, but the rest of the map just kind of got bodied. Game two was like a lot more competitive. It was actually a pretty even game through the first 25 minutes or so. And again, the bottom lane got ahead, but eventually the, you know, scaling kicked in for Hamwa and Zeka got just enormously fed on Akali and that was a little too much for them to deal with. You know, the, the series went more or less how you'd expect. Got the kill spread cover home. Um... On the positive side, like this is literally the first sign of a pulse that we've seen from Brion this season. Um, and the new bottom lane looks legitimately good against one of the stronger duo lanes, not just in the LCK, but in the world in Viper and Delight. Um, I mean, we'll see if it was first series luck or, you know, just they don't know much about these guys. But it's literally the first positive thing we've seen from Brion basically all season. So. That's a good sign for them, and you know if, if they can keep progressing forward, maybe we'll get a, a win out of them eventually. All told, we were down uh, 
0.89 units on the day. Uh, Dam one couldn't get any of those home for us, but the uh, map one kill spread for Brion actually helped out quite a bit in making this not a big negative day. All right, moving on to the Friday morning slate in the LCK week four, day three. We have two matches on Friday. We have Nongshim Red Force plus 408 on the money line, plus 1.5 maps at plus 131, minus 1.5 at 10 to 1. Against KT Rolster, minus 567 on the money line, minus 1.5 maps at plus, or minus 160, and plus 1.5 at minus 1792. So I've talked a lot about KT Rolster this week. Um, in the recap, the enigma that is KT Rolster and the enigma that is some of these players that you just don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what side of the bed they're going to wake up on in a given day or for a given match. And that's just, you know, that's really, that's been Piosic and Barrel throughout their whole careers. And this team has kind of taken on the identity of those players. Now, I'll give credit where it's due. Um, KT look really, really good in their wins. And if there's any chance that this is real and sustainable, I'm, I have an open mind. I, I, you know, I've been wrong before. I can live with it. Part of doing this and being good at it is being nimble and and flexible and willing to adjust when your when your priors are wrong or your preseason expectation is incorrect. You know, I, you don't want to have too much anchoring bias. You want to you want to be true to your numbers and follow your process and stick to your process and everything. But at the same time, you know, if a team proves you wrong or shows that there's something else, then you have to adjust to it. I am open to that possibility. However, I think. We, there's just still a lot we don't know about this KT Rolster team. As I as I went over in the recap, I believe, uh, yesterday, there's just no consistency in their sample whatsoever. And I think a big part of their handicap, and we get teams like this in every league once in a while, but when you get a team like this that's extraordinarily volatile, what you need to keep in mind is when you're looking at averages or net ratings or, or even average-weighted you know, weight like ratings of any kind in any, this is for any sport. This is just good general handicapping advice. But when you get a team like this, that's, that's, has a volatile sample, like, you know, if you're doing like game grades in the NFL or game grades for league of legends or looking at, you know, anything like that, um, or for individual players in another sport, you can look at it and be like, okay, like, is this player, mostly playing toward their median is like the expectation like a really tight range or are there wide is there a, uh, a tails team like kt or a tails team like they're all of their games have been bottom quartile or upper quartile there's basically nothing in the middle like they don't have average games but when you take the average of half your games are in the bottom quartile, half your games are in the upper quartile it's going to make you look like an average like your average is going to tell one thing but the reality of your games is going to tell you a completely different one. KT Rolster have had basically no average games this season. They're either completely stomping everybody or they look like pure dog shit. And there's there's not been a whole lot of middle ground with them. So you have to keep that in mind when you're rating them, when you're handicapping them. And generally when you see teams like this in any sport, um, in like football or basketball or, or like a normal sport, like where you have a lot of fluid liquid markets on these things, there are teams that you want to target for like alt spreads, alt totals, um, stuff like that. Whereas in like we don't have that much ply, like we don't have that much variety in markets for League of Legends. But what you need to keep in mind is they're just a volatile team, and I think when you get these kind of teams, like when you, since we can't really play alt spreads as in liquid markets as much as like traditional sports, what you really need to factor in is like 
this is a team you don't want to back as a big favorite. You want to fade them as a big favorite, and maybe you want to back them as big underdogs because, you know, if they roll high that day, they can beat anybody. We just saw them 2-0 Gen G, and that was not a bad series from Gen G. They just KT just steamrolled. They won all the all the small engagements, all the skirmishes. They flipped heads in every situation. Um, just outplayed the little things and snowballed a game off of it. So we've seen that they can beat anyone, and this is also the same team that just struggle bust entirely against DRX. So know who you're getting into bed with with KT Rolster. Um, that said, I kind of previewed it earlier in the week. I'm absolutely going against them here. Now, Nongshim, Nongshim are not a good team. I, I think Nongshim are pretty clearly in that bottom three, that dumpster fire tier with DRX and Brion. That said, I think of those three, they've got the most optimism. Um, I think they've shown the best like individual moments and the best team moments. They took a game off of Hanwha Life before the break. Um, you know, they're not consistently getting leads and they have like, they basically don't have any huge leads besides that one Hanwha game. But when they do get them, they're capable of converting on them. So, yeah, I think, I think Nongshim can do enough and KT have been inconsistent enough and we don't know, like, Kate, we don't know KT's like average floor scenario. Like KT's floor is they lose to DRX or Brion. KT's ceiling is they beat Gen G 2-0. So I think it's exactly like I just said, as big favorites, fade KT. Like they're just not to be trusted as a big favorite. So to me, I, so I'm going after this primarily through, I, I want to find a way to fade KT, but what's the best way to do that? You can do kill spreads. Kill spreads are decent. You can play the plus seven and a half kills or plus six and a half if you want to get like plus money on it. Um, you could play it map to map. Nongshim will have side choice for this series, so you can play a Nongshim map one, maybe map three if it gets there kind of idea. Um, and that's a bet that can win even in a loss. But uh, I am actually preferring to play this through the kill, uh, kill total over. Uh, I'm going to be playing map one over 24 and a half kills at plus 123 and for one unit, and the same on map two uh, over 24 and a half plus 123 for one unit. Um, that's going to be the primary portion of my staking for this. Both these teams project as over teams. KT Rolster have been over team. They're hyper confident. They tend to want to scrap early. Piosik has just been that kind of player ever since he's gotten back to the LCK. Um, he was like that before he left too. And any Piosik and Barrel combined team are going to want to be getting things going early. Also worth noting, uh, with patch 14.2, the LCK's kind of converted back to a lot of the melee supports. Um, whenever we're not seeing like Ash, it's been a lot more of the melees. And um, that in, you know, part of that is you have Senna is contributing to that too. But anytime you have melee supports, there's generally kill totals going up in games. Because um, really, like anytime you have like Nautilus and Leona, that's that's a big part of it. But there's more fighting. There's more the ability to pull the trigger and, and take a fight. And um, those champions also just like die sometimes. Like they die a lot more often because they just go in and it doesn't pan out or there's a hesitation on a fight. So teams are either committing or the support's dying for free. And it just results in more kills overall. Uh, KT have been an over team. Nongshim have been an under team, but... In the games where they're not completely blown out of the game early, they've been an over team. KT have been an over team in every game state. 
losing, winning, whatever. So I like playing the the angle of this being a more competitive series than the market prices by playing the kill total overs. I did play a small stake on Nongshim. I played the plus 1.5 maps at plus 131 for 0.2 units, the Nongshim money line at plus 408 for 0.1 units, and the Nongshim sweep minus 1.5 maps at plus 999 for 0.1 unit. Don't think this is a surprise to anybody. I think you probably all saw this coming based on how I talked about it, but like, yeah, just. I expect this to be like just a messy, choppy, sloppy series, and it wouldn't shock me at all to see KT just like turn back into a pumpkin because that's been kind of what's going on this season. So, the second match on Friday is Firex plus one fifty three on the money line, plus one point five maps at minus one eighty four, uh, minus one point five at plus three ninety three against Kwangdong Freaks, minus one eighty eight on the money line, minus one point five maps at plus one fifty one, plus one point five at minus five forty four. So Kwangdong looked really, really good. Before the break, um, Firex looked pretty good. Um, you know, both these are middle of the table teams. I think they're both trending upwards. I think there's a lot for both of them to be optimistic about. Generally speaking, I, I think I've liked Kwangdong a little bit more. I think they've shown vast improvement. I think they're ahead of schedule. And I think that they're probably going to be a playoff team. Um, Firex might be. We'll see. I think they're a little bit more inconsistent, a little more volatile. But, um, I generally am pretty optimistic about both these teams. Like, I don't think they're going to win the league or anything like that, but um, they have things to be optimistic about, and they're both going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I didn't play a side in this. Uh, the models made this a much closer price. Like, the models made it plus 135, minus 149. Uh, the markets, obviously, what I just said. Firax also have side choice. Like, this would normally be a spot where if I was just going by the numbers plus the side choice angle, like this would be a Firex money line play. And I actually, I would lean that way if you made me take a side, but I have liked Kwangdong's film a little bit more. And I, I'm generally more optimistic on that roster than I am on Firex. So like, this is, this is like a strong lean to to Firex, but I didn't end up playing it just going with my gut on that one. Um, what I did play, I had, I had, I have four units total staked on this series though, not through the side though. I have the over 25 and a half kills at plus 119 on maps one and two for one unit each. Um, the general premise here being that Firex have been the over team in the LCK. They are, they're not hitting the over in kill totals like relative to the market price. They're not hitting the over as frequently as teams like T1 and KT are. But they've also had higher kill totals than everybody else, and they're still hitting them at more than half, the, more than half the time. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. Like when you watch them play, they're very scrappy. They're aggressive. They tend to pl they they play almost like an old old school LPL team, where they just fight, 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 or like an LEC team where they will aggressively trade, aggressively trade. Sometimes they get lost in the mid game, which is the other thing that contributes to their kill totals going over is that they'll get leads and not be particularly good at closing the game out. And, you know, they'll, like, lose a fight, and then the other team gets something back, and then they have to get, like, ace twice before the game ends. So they've been an over team. They've gone they've gone to 26 or more in two-thirds of their games. Um, Kwangdong have actually gone over... I'm sorry, I mixed that up. Kwangdong have gone over tw to at least 26 in two-thirds of their game. Firex have gone over that in 50% of their games. But... Firex have, have very, very consistently been landing like right around that like 25, 26 mark. 
And I think just the way these two teams play, plus the patch adjustment, plus um, this specific matchup, how I think it's going to play out, I think it's just going to lead to some bloody games. So maybe a game stack possibility here for the UDFS players. Worth keeping that in mind. I also played, and I haven't done a whole lot of these, but the ones I have played have been pretty good this year. I played the map one and map two under 12 and a half towers at minus 189 for one unit each. That's on both maps one and two. Laying the chalk on this, you know, that's roughly like a 65 and a half percent. I'm just off the top of my head. I think it's like a 65 and a half percent implied price from the market. These teams combined have only gone over 12 and a half towers in like 17% of their games. Now, they're two bottom half teams. Not that they've been getting stomped. They've been mostly competitive in their games, but generally speaking, um, I mean, we can look league-wide at this. I'll just pull up the the macro, like the league-wide numbers for the entire season so far. Um, just compared to the actual league-wide price, uh, 71.62% of games are going under 12.5 towers across the league. That's every single game. Versus the implied 65 and a half here. Usually when you get tighter money line prices, you get closer together props. But the props, like the 12 and a half towers thing is not necessarily, like you can have a competitive game that goes under. Like it, the towers more than any other derivative prop are really, really agnostic of of the actual like closeness of the teams in terms of like a quality rating. Um, towers tends to have a lot more to do with the game script and the patch. Um, if there and right now there's just not split pushers really. There's just not a whole lot of split pushing going on. That's usually when you start seeing this you know break from or diverge from its normal. Um, the only times you get the over are when split pushers are happening, or when you get these like absolute ridiculous marathon games that go like 40 minutes and. You know, there's a lot of trading, or there's like each team gets a. Ba- Usually, it takes each team getting a baron or a split pusher, to and I mean like each team getting a baron, actually having something to do and having a play, like getting it and not just stealing it and dying. Like each team having a baron power play is usually like where they get a couple of towers is usually how you get a, a tower total over home, and you just don't like we have seen a fair amount of those games. But those are pretty much the only games that are going over because nobody's really playing split pushers right now. In like an average game state in League of Legends, you just don't get this over. So I'm actually playing these. It shows a pretty significant edge on market price. You know, I wouldn't be playing this if I didn't think it hits both times in the first two maps because of the price. So keep that in mind when you're playing this. If you want to just play one map, that's totally cool too. Um, so for this one, really for the whole day, let's just recap the whole day. Uh, Kwangdong. Fierex, or Fierex Kwangdong, we played map 1 and map 2 over 25 and a half kills at plus 119 for one unit each. We leaned to the Fierex money line, uh, but, you know, see the aforementioned discussion there. I also played in Fierex Kwangdong the map 1 and map 2 under 12 and a half towers at minus 189 for one unit each. That is a one unit stake, not to win one unit. Keep that in mind. I'm, I'm flat staking these. And in the first match, we had uh, Nongshim versus KT. We played the map 1 and map 2 over 24.5 kills at plus 123 for 1 unit each. We also played the Nongshim plus 1.5 maps at plus 131 for 0.2 units. Nongshim Moneyline plus 408 for 0.1 units. And Nongshim minus 1.5 maps at plus 999 for 0.1 units. Best of luck. Have a good Thursday or Friday whenever you are listening to this. And I will catch you tomorrow evening.